Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a former teammate who played in the big leagues for 16 years for the last decade. He's been an analyst at MLB Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mark DeRosa. Mark, thanks for coming on the program. <laughs> God. Yeah, good to talk. Oh, man. I don't think people realize, like, when I was a little sparky coming up, you came over to the Atlanta Braves. I watched you do, you do your thing, man. I remember you pulling into the player's parking lot. First day of spring training in a... Silver 911 yes, Porsche Turbo. I was like, man, that's my dream car. <laughs> Booney's got it. Let's get it. <laughs> we had Walty on the program a, a little while ago. We'll get to him at the end. But uh, Walt Weiss, for those of you listening out there, is a mutual friend of Mark and mine. A uh, lot of fun. A lot of, lot of fun. I have some fond memories of that 99 yeah. season. All right, Mark. We got postseason. Who is the one team, not the best team? You know, I think everybody can kind of agree that the 162 Atlanta's kind of kind of yeah. made themselves clear they're the best team this year. Uh, who's the one team you don't want to face right now? You got one? You know, I was going to say Milwaukee, Brett, and then the Brandon Woodruff news kind of has to – not shocked the clubhouse a little bit, but that injury kind of came out of nowhere and they were kind of set up to kind of go through the diamondbacks. I felt like, and then kind of take on the Dodgers and really stare the Dodgers in the face with, with three big dogs. I look at the Phillies, obviously the Phillies got a little bit of a tougher matchup with the Marlins. Cause there's a lot of left-handed arms that could come back, maybe a Harper or Schwarber. So that could be an interesting series. I think the team no one's talking about, and I think it's going to go one way or the other, is the Minnesota Twins. They haven't won a postseason game, I think, in their last 18 tries. They got a nice matchup, in my opinion, against a Blue Jays team that's kind of coming in limping a little bit, losing 6-10. So I think it's a situation where Pablo Lopez is better than people think. Sonny Gray is better than people think. And I think uh, the Twins are going to be an interesting um, team to knock out. 
No, I agree with you. I, I think there's a few teams, and and as we get through this this program, you know, I'll share a few of my insights. But I, I think you're right. I think there's the obvious teams out there, and then there's the teams that nobody's paying any attention to, and they're actually pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, Brett, did you ever take Al Leiter deep? I didn't. Al Leiter. Uh, oh, you're 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 you're. He just walked in the office. Al, <laughs> I'm 57, and I got to put my peepers on there, Brett Boone. Let me tell you this. Al Leiter, D-Row, one of my biggest nemesis is. Like, I see him on the card, especially when I was young. And I go, he's going to throw that damn cutter right in that yep. spot. Do I swing? Do I not swing? As a young player, I swung. You know, and, and Al loved when I ripped that first pitch off the tarp down the left field line for strike one. Guess what as, I did next pitch? A little further in there. A little buddy. further in there. And then you get older, <laughs> D-Row, as we all do. You get a little – you start to learn a little bit. Second half of my career, I said, you know those cutter ballers that want to keep throwing that one in? It's not a challenge to you to be not, tough. It's yeah. called lay off it and wait for him to leave that one that he meant to get in out over the plate. Nice. It only took it only took me eight or nine years to finally come around. Did you it. take me deep, Brett? Not, never. Brett. Brett. He I don't did. think he's, no. in he did. he's in the book, Brett. Can you for believe you? that crap? For you? Oh, I got him big at Chase. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take it easy. Dero, it is funny because Lighter, you know how we're all asked as ex-players. You know, you're you're at a function and hey, who are the toughest pitchers in the ever yeah. faced? We all have that question. Hit yeah. pitchers, I'm sure Al has the you know, who's the toughest hitters you ever faced? We all you know have who our- I used to say, Booney, I'm going to go because uh, um, Mark McLemore. I know what you're saying. Everybody wants to say Tony Gwynn or Barry Bonds or right. you know, Mark McGuire. Mark McLemore was my pain in the neck. <laughs> tell tell Lighter one of my biggest nemesis is was other than him was Dave Burba. No Dave chance. Burba. Oh, no chance. Him. Couldn't get a hit. Couldn't get a hit. Big, big old right-hander, high release point. <laughs> Saw it like a beach ball. All right, anyway, back to lighter. Those are my three guys because I always go, here's my go-to now. It's, uh, hey, Booney, who's your, you know, who are the toughest pitchers? You know, Pedro, Randy. No, they were easy to face. But I, I always go, you know, my go-to is this. It's just Maddox Moltz-Glavin. It's pretty simple. Yeah. It's probably, you know, arguably the best threesome in the history of baseball, at least in my lifetime. Uh, but then they go lefties, righties. And it's always Randy Johnson at the toughest, the best I've ever seen. Uh, and and I got to put Glav number two for the greatest lefties I've ever faced. Different, you know, different uh, styles, obviously, than Randy. But Al Leiter's right in my – He's right in there, man. He was tough. The guy, he, he's one of those guys I pick up the USA Today and I'm looking seven days out and I start to get the shakes. I'm like, oh, no, Leiter. <laughs> Cool, he dropped by. Tell Al we're going to have him on the program because I I need to talk to him. I want I want the pitcher's side, the pitcher's breakdown. Uh, anyway, I want to talk to you about managing a little bit. You got to do it this year in the spring. Yeah, uh, with the classic. Um, but as a manager coming into the postseason, you rather have the best team. You rather have the hottest team. I want the hottest team. Yeah, I, I, I want I want the hottest team. I, I I think we've seen that that story way too many times. The best team doesn't always win. Booney, I say this. I was blessed. I came up with guys like you, man. Ninety eight, ninety nine. That's when I started to kind of get my feet wet in the big leagues. All I knew was division titles in October. 
that's it. Like, I wasn't drafted by a team that didn't go to the postseason. The Braves went every year. So that was always my expectations. And they didn't get that far. And, I mean, what, you go to NLCS, you went to the World Series in 99. I think for me, the one year I went into the postseason and felt like, and I don't really know. I don't really know how good this team's going to be. Was the team 2010 San Francisco Giants that ended up winning the whole thing. And we had pitching and got some timely hitting and the ball bounced our way for, you know, a couple games. And it kind of, you just kind of slowly see it to see it start happening. So, yeah, I think it's the team that's, that's the hottest at the time. I really do. Believe me, it's, you know, I got a chance to to be on a couple pretty good teams. That '99 Braves team being one of them, and uh, you know, we went to New York and got steamrolled by the Yankees that year. It just wasn't in the cards. And we're there for the 116. And I was there for the, you know, that 116 Mariner team. I've never been on a, I've never been on a un, more unbelievable ride for a year. It's like we were on a cloud. We won. Do you remember? I wonder if you remember this because I was a young kid that year. We came out there. We played an interleague. The Braves played an interleague series late in the year in Seattle. You guys beat up on us. Freddie Garcia, all those guys. I just remember that place being like, whoa, oh, this might be the World Series matchup here. Yeah, it was It was that year, Mark. It's nothing. That 99 team. And you you saw that, that group and that, uh, you know, that roster. It was very workmanship like. Uh, it was lunch pail. It was come to the yard. It was it was uh, put your card in the slot, punch it, play the game, beat somebody, and go home. It was very much that way for me in Atlanta. The 2001 Mariner team completely different, and it was nothing like I've ever played on. We were really good. I mean, we had MVPs on that team. We had batting champs. We had Gold Glovers. I don't know if it was the greatest team ever assembled. You know, we can say for a regular season we're the greatest team ever, but yeah. now because we didn't win at all, uh, there's always a little bit of a negative connotation. But I got to a point that year, and and I think we all did, and I talk about this all the time, and it's not from an arrogant vein that I come at you because that team wasn't arrogant. It was a veteran team. It was a team that had been there, done that, but it was a pretty humble team overall. But we had won so much that year. I mean, we didn't lose series and we didn't think about, hey, this is a big series. We got to win. It's like, no, we go here and and we'll win and then we come home and then we'll win another series. We didn't lose. So we went into that postseason. You know, that was a lot going on that year. It was 9-11. We broke the record and it felt like, oh, okay. Finally, it's, oh, no, now we've got the postseason to go. And we went to Cleveland, had a tough series, didn't play that well, but but won. Like, we knew we were going to win. And then... We got on a plane. Oh, we got to go to New York. We got to play the Yankees because that's they're in our way to get to the World Series to collect our trophy. And we went to New York with that mindset. Like, of course, we're going to win. We're the best team. And we didn't. And I remember getting on the getting on the bus after that that loss and just kind of looking at funny that Al Leiter uh, just mentioned Mark McLemore. Because I remember looking at Mac and hooking eyes on the bus. And, and the and the, without words, it was kind of like. How did this happen? Did that just happen? Yeah. Or are we dreaming right now, you know? So a year ago when that Dodgers team won 111 games, I know what they were feeling. And they're just sitting at the end of the uh, end of the trail waiting for it, see who their opponent was going to be. They already knew. You know, they probably had it. 
they, they had a clinch two months before the season ended. And I know that feeling and you're just waiting around. They get upset by an 89 win ball club in the, in the Padres. But I knew the feeling and it, and it didn't surprise me because yeah. it happened. To, it happened to us. Yeah. I don't think there's a perfect answer to that. Obviously like it say, Oh, you don't want those four or five days off. I, man, you've earned the right to line your pitching up, get everyone healthy, right? be in the best position to succeed. I, I would want those days off, um, but it usually, and we've seen it time and time again, a wild card team comes in hot, playing a month-long September of postseason baseball to stay relevant, and they kind of just waltz their way right through. So, But I do believe there wasn't anybody who got aggressively hot to win a wild card spot. It's almost like they – kind of beat up on each other and, and teams kind of limped in. Cubs gave collapsed, it. let the Diamondbacks kind of waltz in. The you know two AL West teams beat each other up and kind of let Toronto get in. So I, I think there's some some wild card teams that are in for some some tough series here. I looked at Texas down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, they were impressive all year. Boach takes over that club and played so well. Then they hit a they hit a rough spot and they lost eight or nine in a row and and but then they got it going again. I go into the last ten days of the season. I'm paying a little more close attention because the Mariners were involved. So the Mariners had ten games to go and seven with Texas, who Texas beat them up pretty good all year. Well, Mariners ended up losing. I think six of ten. Uh, they get swept by Texas to put them in a must-win situation at the end. Then Texas loses three out of four I know. to the Mariners. And Houston sneaks in the back door, wins the division. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big swing as a player. You go from I got to buy to I got to get on a plane and go play Tampa Bay now. Yeah, I, following the AL West, listen, Texas wasn't going to run that good all year. They they were running hot. Right. I mean, everything clicking perfect for them. Then their pitching kind of gets a little nicked up. Their bullpen goes down the tubes for a minute there where Boach really coming out of the bull, uh, coming out of the dugout every night. You could tell he didn't know if he didn't get length out of his starter. He was like, how do I piece this together for 27 outs? And they kind of revitalized themselves. Jordan Montgomery's been ridiculously good for them. And he wasn't even the, you know, it was Max Scherzer who was coming in. Oh, by the way, last minute we picked up Jordan Montgomery. He's getting game one for them. So that's interesting. Seattle to me, they should be disappointed. That, yeah. that That's a good enough roster and a good enough team and one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. Bullpen's certainly capable. They should be disappointed that they're, they're not playing in October. They're one of the two teams, them, maybe the Padres, that really has to look themselves in the mirror and say they let a golden opportunity slip away um, for this season. Because there's a team right there that could get on a run with their pitching staff and, and really make some, make some noise in the postseason. Going back to the WBC, you managed this spring. Uh, how'd you like it? And, and what'd you learn from it? God, how did I like it? I thought it was the greatest kind of three week to a month stretch I've ever had in the game besides, you know, obviously coming up as a player. Um, it was one of the most nerve wracking things I had ever done just to get up. I thought the first day to address the team and kind of set the tone. I'm a big, like, I know, and I don't know how you were. I liked the 
opening meeting in spring training. Like I wanted my manager to set set the tone for mm-hmm. this season. I wanted us to go out for that first stretch with a mindset, a purpose, and a focus. I know I know that's not that's not sustainable for Buck sixty two. But if if you gave me some generic blah blah speech, I'm like, uh, I guess it's on us. We're not getting any help right. here. So I wanted to kind of set the tone for why they were there. Not check their egos, but don't be searching for an alpha male in the room. We're all we're all alphas. You're all stars. Half of you are going to the Hall of Fame. You guys got Cy Young. All of that. Let's let's all put it all together and come together as a team representing the country. That was number one. What I learned. Brett, is that it's not any different from when me and you were in the dugout. Guys want to be led. They want to be coached. I think they're approached a little bit differently now, but I went at it from an old school mentality. I ran full infield, outfield, and workouts. They hadn't done that in years. Uh, I was big about the hot hand was going to play, and I tried to stay true to that. I felt like in that situation – start a spring training, although I'd want to be loyal to Brett Boone. If you come in my office and go, man, I am 0 for 15, punched out 10 times, and I feel like garbage. Get, me, probably, get me in there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably going to go the other way for sake of the team in that moment. Um, so I shook the lineup up a couple of times, and I didn't overthink it. Mookie Betts and, and uh, Trout, we were doing our first workout in Chase Field in Arizona, and I was kind of hemming and hawing back with with what I was going to do with the lineup because you really couldn't go wrong. But I wanted to make sure that I picked the brains of the players where they like to hit, picked the brains of the managers. And finally, I was standing out there just kind of shagging, and Trout's like, what are you going to do with the lineup tomorrow? And I kind of told him, ah, I'm thinking about leading Mookie off, or I might lead Trey Turner off, or something like that. And they both looked at me and they were like, don't overthink it. Get me and Mookie. Mike said, get me and Mookie to the plate, one, two, and then slot it in. So then, you know, it kind of took some pressure off that these guys wanted that. Right. Kind of to take that on their shoulders. And then I knew Goldie was going to hit third and and Nolan Arenado to, in talking to him. I did it. I thought that. One thing I did right was as soon as I was named manager in August, I started to chip away at like getting to know these guys with phone calls. Not mm-hmm. crazy, but like I talked to maybe everyone on the roster one or two, maybe three times before they showed up. I, I wanted them to feel like they knew me. Uh, and and in doing that, you get a feel for them. Like Arenado lights up hitting fourth. I didn't know that. Like he wants to hit fourth in any lineup he's in. So I kind of ran with that. I didn't overthink the righty lefty righty lefty righty lefty thing even though i do believe in that i felt like these guys were just too talented to worry about splits right and and you mentioned really when you have that level of talent in in yeah. one place you really can't go wrong right it's it was like the pitch it was the pitching that was right. so hard. Right. trying to honor the clubs getting them back healthy Right. building them up, but also there's a result to the game. So it's like there were moments where I had to leave guys in there a lot longer than before we got to Miami than I would have liked to because I was obligated to their parent club to get mm-hmm. them 50, 60 pitches out there. So that was the tough, that was the tough rub of it. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And notice you played a long time. You went to the postseason, I think, at least six times. Um, but there was a difference in different managers I played for. I, I talked to Bruce Bochy recently, and I played for Bochy one year in 2000 in San Diego. And he said, I asked him what he learned. You mentioned that the, the Giants went in that 10, <clears throat> that 10 World Series. They won 10, 12, and 14, three and a, yeah. you know, unprecedented run they made. And I said, Boach, what'd you learn from that first World Series with the, with the Padres? And he said, I learned that I needed to manage with uh, with the urgency once I got to the postseason. And it kind of dawned on me because I remember the first time, you know, I played for Davey Johnson in, in, uh, in Cincinnati, went to the postseason there. I got to Atlanta. Obviously, we both played for Bobby Cox. And Bobby, talking about that opening day, talk he'd have i remember bobby cox i came in me and a couple guys brian jordan we were new to the team and he said uh and for booney and and jordan he goes uh we here in atlanta what we do is i put the lineup up every day and we steamroll our opponent (laughs) and we win the division which they did like 10 years in a row it was kind of cool hearing that i'm like this is kind of gonna be fun plus i don't have to face the three-headed monster and but we got to the postseason and i noticed bobby managed differently yeah. And at the time as a player, I had never seen that because you're right. The players, ball players are ball players, and it doesn't matter if it's now 20 years ago, 40, 60 years ago. It, once you're a ball player, you're always a ball player at heart. And you, you're right. You want to be led in a certain capacity. Now, certain teams, veteran teams that are so hardened, they kind of run their own show. But for the most part, us as players, we're looking at that skipper. It's almost like we're watching the fl- we're watching the flight attendant when there's turbulence and you're not a and you're not a frequent flyer. You're seeing if that flight attendant starts to panic, you start to worry. Same with that. I yeah. thought that that first trip Bobby managed different once we got to the postseason. He didn't say much during the season. It was pretty much go out and win every day. And he got to the postseason. I saw a little more urgency. What do you think about that? I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You want to be loyal to the guys that have brought you there. I always felt like, listen, I wanted to look down and I wanted to be able to close my eyes and kind of think along with Bobby Cox and Bruce Bochy and Tony La Russa. And for the most part, those Hall of Fame type managers, you do. You know who's coming out of the bullpen. You know who's double switching in the game when we add that in the National League. You kind of had a feel for how they were going to run the game. And then in the postseason, I feel like all bets are off. We're trying. To, you can't. You got to kind of check your ego at the door. You're going to run your dudes out there. But at the end of the day, you there's got to be more urgency from a pitching standpoint to let's get to the bullpen super quick. The one thing I I, I, I kind of learned there, multiple things. You got to delegate authority. I had an unbelievable staff. And we didn't always agree on everything. But I knew... When the dust settled, if I was going to sleep at night, it had to go my way. There was multiple times where I played the infield in where Jerry Manuel 
was my bench coach and didn't necessarily agree with that. Um, I understood that, but I still was like, all right, I'm not going to sleep tonight if we don't play the infield in right here in that situation. I had Andy Pettit as the pitching coach who would constantly, he's pitched in every big game known to man. So he would come to me and whisper to me, hey, just be ready. This guy doesn't have it tonight or he's a little short or, hey, he looks good. I had Mikey Young there talking to the hitters about, you know, potential pinch hitting and, and defensive replacements. Brian McCann from a catching and pitching perspective. There was just so many avenues once I was able to relax and delegate some of that authority that I felt like everything started to really roll and I could just focus on showing no panic number one and creating an energy because I always feel like when you got I wasn't an all I wasn't a perennial all-star so when you guys get around each other there's this feeling out process like I'm sure when you walked into those all-star clubhouses to get dressed, it's like, there's dog, like this, it, dogs there's at the a weirdness. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to eliminate that. Like right. we got to eliminate that. I was, would I love to, for example, we're facing a lefty and I'm dying to play Pete Alonzo, but he wasn't necessarily swinging a good bat at that time. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, man, Schwarber's such a dude in this clubhouse and the guys love him. And I see the way they gravitate to him and he's swinging a better bat. I know it, I know it doesn't look great on paper analytically to go left on left, but I'm, I'm doing it. I kind of, there was things where I felt like analytically based in some certain areas, but definitely gut based in a lot of it. I think from the from all the managers I've played for, the best and when asked this question, I've never managed. I know what I'd do if I did. You talk about the analytics. The game has changed since yeah. I broke into this game. It's still a game it's still baseball. <laughs> you know, I always say that baseball players are still baseball players. It doesn't matter what era. Games change, analytics have gotten much more into the game. And I think if for the people out there that just uh, are old school and just dismiss analytics uh, at face value, I, th I think that's an ignorant approach. I think that has to be in the equation. But you mentioned gut. The great managers at crunch time when the analytics don't add up, but you've got a burning desire, you make that tough call at that tough time. I think the great ones have the ability to do that. Because managing, you know, every year there's going to be, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, there's dismissals every year. Yeah, yeah, it's not fair. It is fair. Somebody had to go, whatever. But the bottom line is us, the players in that clubhouse, we make or break you, man. We don't sit around. How many times you had a beer after the game, D-Row, and sit around and go, man, Skip really screwed us tonight. <laughs> Doesn't happen. You know, I, I didn't get the runner in from third. It's never – Oh, Skip, how could he have made that, you know? <laughs> you might be pissed before the game. I don't like hitting in this position or that position. But not too many times do we sit around and it's it's the manager's fault. It's us as players. The manager, his main role is to set the tone. And I just think the great the great managers, you know, when everything's against, when the, all the analytics say one thing, but your gut tells you another and they make the call. You know, uh, that's 
to me, that those are the great ones. Those are the tough calls yeah. to make, but they're the calls that have to be made. And that separates you from a difference maker for me in the, in the managerial sense. I think managers run the room. They read the room. We, you, you live with your team for 162 games. You got to know what makes those guys tick. You got to set the tone in that room. You don't treat people the same. This isn't Little League where everybody's treated equally. It's I've got to kick, I got to stick my foot in that guy's ass and I got to give this guy a hug. And, yep. and, and a result of that's going to be the same result. I'm going to get the same result because if I kick this guy in the butt, he might, he, he might get in the fetal position and quit on me. Well, this whole idea that everyone's got to be super comfortable oh, to the best to them is no. not reality. No. Fear of failure is why half of us go out there and grind the way we do. Putting yourself out in front of the entire world uh, every night. Um, that's why you want to play well for your teammates. So until I remember Chipper said to me, you want to you want to play in the card game? Get a hit that helps us win a ball game. You know, get a hit that matters. I want you comfortable. Don't get me wrong. We're not we're not going to try and bully you or pick on you. But if you think you're getting treated like Brett Boone hitting 40 plus bombs that that no. You got to help us win ball games. I'll, I'll say this about the analytics, man. I, I I'm all in on it. I want all the information I can get. Some of it's useless. Some of it you can really dive in, dive in on. But the minute that analytic person loses sight of the fact that they've never been in the box, that's when you lose me, because, and you know this, it having real life experience to be in that moment when you're the only game in town and your whole city's watching you, everybody you ever grew up's watching you, everybody who's ever liked, loved, or hated you is watching you. (laughs) No, you don't know what that feels like unless you've been in that moment and whether you succeeded or failed. So to sit there and tell me that you could spit out what is going to happen in this game it's not true. That's not re- that's not rooted in reality. It, it, I get it. They're they're real numbers on what Brett can hit a slider. Let's say, but can <laughs> my pitcher execute it with fifty thousand people in Seattle breathing right. down his throat? I don't right. know if he can. And if he hangs it, it's getting booked oppo. So don't come at me without real life experience and speak so matter of fact. That's my only. That's my only thing. But again, that comes back to people, right? If you surround yourself with great people who kind of bounce ideas off each other, there is a lot to love about diving in on the numbers and seeing what you can and can't do and, and positioning your defense. And and I'll say this, kind of bouncing back to WBC, when you watched a hitter have to face three to four different looks, they had a lot of trouble with it. So I don't love the bullpen games by any stretch. I love the big dog starters and having them go deep and then bringing in your guys. But, man, the moments where I had to go to the pen based on pitch count and show good hitters three or four different looks, I I, I saw a massive value in that. And I think, too, you know, when they first started this bullpen game, and, yeah. and you know, kind of Tampa Bay was kind of the epitome of it. And I, it, it always went back to this. I said, there's a reason guys are in the bullpen. The best pitchers in the world are starting pitchers. 
So, yes, the bullpen pitchers can be nasty. But all it takes in a bullpen game is one guy to have an off night. Yeah, and tough. if I got my ace, he's not going to walk you. I got a better chance. And, and that's what I used to think about. Now I, I think about it a little bit differently in a WBC situation where you've yeah, got more of an, all, you got an all-star quality. You don't just have the run-of-the-mill Kansas City fifth, sixth guy. No, you're it getting, was you're getting name closer, guys that, closer, closer, right, closer. Right, it's, tough, right. it's a it's a different ball game when you've got that level of talent. But I'll I'll make one more point on the manager thing. Played for Davy Johnson, yeah, and we butted heads when I was a kid. You know, I'd come to the park and you know, I couldn't stand him, and I think he, you know, at the time I'm thinking he can't stand me, and we're just we're two second basemen. And man, he would push my buttons, Mark, and I didn't understand it. And I had some really 94 and 95, the two years I had Davey, I had really good years under him. You know, I was a young player, but I always had this, oh, Davey Johnson. Years later, I kind of reflected back on those days and I appreciated it. And I thought, now I understand what he was doing because I, I was always like, why does he treat me different than he treats Barry <laughs> Larkin? You know, we're both in the middle infield. Yeah. Well, there was a reason for that. And years later, I talked to Davey about it. And he said, Booney, yeah, I knew a thing or two before I got to you. And he said he knew by pushing my buttons, getting a pissed off Brett Boone. He goes, I knew you played better that way. He goes, but I couldn't do that to, you know, this, is, this isn't what he said. But just for example purposes, he says, I can't, if I treat Reggie Sanders that way, I don't get the same result. But I knew that no. going in. And I had a new appreciation for Davey Johnson and probably skill wise, the whole package, probably the best manager I ever played for. And I, I was fortunate to play for a lot, a lot of guys, you know, Lou, Lou being my favorite of all time for my, for my brief two stints with Lou. Uh, he could be your favorite if you're hitting 40 bombs. Oh, but I had a relationship with him in the end where it, it was awesome. Because he would just, he would just, I mean, mid game, oh. he wrote, Lou would look at me and go, Hey, guys, he goes, If you're waiting on Boone today, you're going to be waiting a long time because he ain't got it. And I'd look at Skip and I'd go, Skip, I'm only 0 for 2. That got exactly. two more. He goes, I, I'd be impressed if you got one hit. <laughs> hey, but I we played- had, you, you get to that relationship point, and it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty cool. I played for both of those guys. I had Lou in Chicago. Oh, okay. That was at the end. Yeah. 07, 08. And I've got a bunch of funny stories about Lou. Oh, but he's unbelievable. The best one ever was like, you know, I finally signed my first multi-year deal. I'm going to be playing every day. And I'm super jacked. And go out opening day and go two for four. And then I come back in for game two and I'm not in the lineup. And I had been a utility guy my entire career. So it's like, man, I was ready to play. So I just walked into his office day two. And he turned around and he was doing a crossword in his underwear. He threw his hands in the air. He's like, what could you possibly want game two? And I'm like, I want in the lineup. I've been waiting my whole life. I'm 30 years old to get off the bench. I I know what that feels like. I just went two for four. I want to play. He goes, oh, you want to play? Okay. He walks out in the middle, of, calls a meeting, rips the lineup down, tells everyone that I want to play, then like proceeds to st- go, if you don't get a hit, you ain't. <laughs> oh, said, that sounds I, like him. 
I ended up doing all right that game. I think I went like one for three with a ribby, and he left me alone for the rest of my time there. D-Row, he loves that. He loves I was like blown away. I was like, I don't know if I'm getting released or he loves me. It's one or yeah. the other. If Lou Pinella respects you as a man and a ball player, it's got to <laughs> be both. It can't just be one. That man will take a bullet for you. But if he doesn't, you're he gone. Pound, he will pound you into the ground and you'll never be heard of again. He's unbelievable. Oh, God. You think in this 12 teams, you think there's a difference maker manager in the 12? That's kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but is there a difference maker? A lot of good ones. I mean, if there's one, it's Boach, right? Probably. I think a lot of a lot of their stuff, a, a lot of these managers' stuff is done pre-game. I mean, I, I I look at the Rays. Kevin Cash is one of the best at getting his guys to buy into what they're trying to do. But their matchups are pretty pretty spot on. I don't think uh, trying to think top bracket Milwaukee Council's really good too. How about Council, too? Council, Council, he's excellent. He's excellent. He's a free agent. Yeah. And he's about to start the postseason with the Milwaukee Brewers, who he's been with for a lot of years now. And and he's fielding questions about other openings. You know, is that a distraction for him? They're already talking about it. Yeah, I don't think so. I think think he's he's a pro. Yeah, I think he's pretty confident in what he brings to the table. If not Milwaukee backing it up for him, then obviously there's a lot of whispers about the Mets. But I would think for me, if I'm with the Rangers, a bunch of guys who haven't played in the postseason before, like you said, to look down at the end of the bench and know that guy's got three. He's not going to be the reason we don't win this or lose this. You know, he'll put us in the proper situations to be successful. Uh, Show Walter. Moving on from New York. Yeah. Kapler moving on. Uh, got fired at the San Francisco Giants. Our boy Nev. That, that can't, I, I hadn't talked I, to Phil. I haven't talked to Phil in about I a month. I left him alone for I left him alone. I don't know. I can't say that I expected that. I, you know, I, I was hoping for him. I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to give him more of a chance. I didn't really I don't have think he deserved it. No, I don't think so either. I don't That's think That's my so problem. Nev, you know, for a lot of people. Nev's a good baseball man. He's a baseball man. He went he down is. to the minors and managed over a thousand games. This is something he truly wanted to do and be great at. He's been third base coach. He he's kind of checked all the boxes to get up there and do it. I mean, there, damn it, Rendon goes down, Trout goes down, Otani goes down. His pitching staff. I mean, you, in that division, once again, it's the players. It's the players. It always is the players. Where are you really going? So he kept them playing hard. He kept them invested. I know he fought to the bitter end. Yeah, I, I thought, who who's going to come in? What are you What are you doing? You're not rebuilding. So like, let. I didn't agree with that one. Uh, Tito is walking away. Yeah. Uh, what a great career he's had. But any any other changes out there might happen. Any any catch your eye that ah, I'm going to keep an eye on this this team for a change. You think I mean, we're I want to. I, I want to see San Diego. I want to see what Melvin does. It's gonna be interesting with Farhad and They're, San Francisco. Their relationship yeah. in the Oakland days. 
interesting. Booney, how did they not win? Is that unbelievable? Come I on. still can't. I still, you look at it, they pitched way better than I thought they'd pitch. Mm-hmm. They got what I thought going into the season was hands down the best offense in baseball. They stayed relatively healthy. And they, Dero, it's not that they didn't win. Doesn't make any they sense. Were, they weren't even close. I know, and it doesn't close. make sense. They were talking about, oh, we've had players' meetings. Well, have you said the right things? Right. Like, what are we honestly talking about here? Like, it comes down to the players at the end of the day. Bob Melvin's been there, done that. I mean, what 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 moves could he have possibly made to, unless just try and create some energy, some form or fashion? But they've been, for me, the most disappointing team. Um. You'll see a situation where they got they, they they can't have that many so-called superstars under one roof. I think you see Soto get moved this offseason. Uh, they got to figure out their pitching. I, I'm going to throw this at you because I, I just was asked this question. I, I've been thinking about it a lot. That dynamic. I live in San Diego, so I, you know I I hear the buzz yeah. on a daily basis, and and I was shocked this year. Not only not making it, but just the way, I mean, they almost lost to the Dodgers by 20 games. Dodgers are a great team, I think. But with that roster, (laughs) missing out on the division by 20 games to the Dodgers, it's ridiculous. But I thought about some things. You've got got young, big-time, talented players with a Soto, uh, a Tatis, a veteran in Machado, another superstar, and you bring in Bogarts. Tatis has the scandal of two years ago. You know, he's got a lot of amends to make with his team. No doubt. He comes back. He sits out a year. He comes back hat in hand, makes his amend with his teammates. He's kind of on his best behavior. I'll do whatever it takes. But you got to remember, this guy signed a contract over $300 million, and he's in his early 20s. He's still a kid. I give him a ton of credit, though, moving to right field. I That's what gonna- I was about to say. Yeah, go there. You know, playing in the middle infield, there's a little bit of ego that comes with that. No Especially doubt. a shortstop, but a second baseman. I think back to the the when I was at the top of my game in my prime, and you said, hey, Booney, for the good of the team, could you just go play first? I would be like, who you got that's going to be better at second? I just know how it, it we tick, and especially in the middle infield. This is a young stud, man. I, I look at Tatis, and, you know, when you're talking about talent, I think of an Acuna. I think about this Julio Rodriguez yeah. in Seattle. These are, these are if everything goes good and you stay healthy, these are Hall of Fame players. And all of a sudden say, you know, I, I need you to play right field and be happy with it. Now, coming off the scandal and the stuff getting suspended for a year, like I said, he's just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll just go play right field. How much did it really affect him, though? You know, I take a, 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 a different case, not as high profile of a case, but a Cronenworth, up and coming second baseman. He went and played first base, and now Kim plays second. So on paper, you've got a gold glove infield with Bogarts, Machado rounding it out. But was everybody healthy? You know, as a player, uh, you know, as an ex player, as an analyst doing this, you, you get, you talk to the players, you have a feeling, but you never truly know the real story unless you're one of those 26 guys thoughts yeah I, you know it's funny i feel like aj preller no obviously identifies talent has an owner that's willing to spend and then it's like here bob melvin here's the roster 
I don't know where it all supposed to play, but it's super talented. So it's like, I always felt as a utility guy, I came up never playing. I didn't play one inning off shortstop from high school all the way until the big leagues. And then for showed up and I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta move around a little bit here. So that's kind of how that, but you want to check me out mentally. Tell me to go play left field. Yeah. Tell me to go play right field after seeing what the pitches are banter with you. Like I got the bag, you got the bag. We're in on right. this. And then I'm standing in right field. You feel like I that kid in little league. You're the last <laughs> guy. You're the last guy. <laughs> I thought he was going to check out mentally. That was my fear. Right. So for him to like kind of go out there and then de- analytically, he's like the best. Yeah, he was good. But I expect that out of a world-class shortstop. I expect that. But then right. to move Cronenworth to first, I think so a little bit of, I, I don't know Jake that well, but he doesn't have the offensive profile to really carry first base, right? Like, is he comfortable over there? Kim is a really good player. He really is. He's a Listen, talented. Bogart's he can move him anywhere. one of my favorite players, but I felt like it threw everything into to a tizzy. Like, it, it, it forced everyone to have to, like, adjust. And I don't think you necessarily needed to add him at that. But they, they did, did what they did. Yeah, they did what they did. And I played for, for Bo Mel. Uh, Melvin, I had him his rookie year as a manager in, in Seattle in 03, 04. I love playing for Bob. He, he's a very mild-mannered guy, uh, but but he's got a pretty impressive resume. He's had a lot of success. So I know that that Bob wasn't the one in there disrupting it, and, and the problem. You know, he's a problem solver. So, yeah, it, interesting. And it seems like every year, you know, there's one of those things that you just scratch your head and go, I don't know that how that happened. You've been to the postseason a lot. People get sick of me explaining it on on the Boone podcast. So tell tell everybody out there what those players are about to go through. Guys that are doing it for the first time. Yeah, I always I always felt like this is you know when you played wiffle ball in the street as a kid. These were the moments that like really resonated with me. So I always felt like. You could take a guy from, let's say, the minor leagues and bring him up for a game in June in Pittsburgh, day game, wherever, Cincinnati, doesn't matter. And he'd kind of like be able to not stick out like a sore thumb. You get into October, this is where like I always I always felt you could see it in, in teammates' eyes, whether they truly wanted the moment or they really were okay not having the moment in that situation i always felt like october separated everyone over the course of 162 the most talented players are the most talented players brett boone's gonna get his right he's going to when the dust settles but in october in an 11 game sprint i could be the hero tonight and i always felt like this is this was an opportunity for me to show mental toughness, show my team that I wasn't afraid of the big moment and realize that the pitchers were so hyper-focused on the Brett Boons of the world not beating them that they might miss to me in that seven hole. They might spin something in the middle. So I wanted to be like super aggressive, want the moment, not be afraid of it. I I, I, I ate it up. And I've had great games and Man, I had some bad ones too. I had some moments I'd like to forget. 
Yeah, postseason. It's it is. It's, it's different. Best. It's different. Old Yankee Stadium. That that ninety nine C. And I had a bunch of heartbreaks in, in Old Yankee Stadium in the postseason. One of them being the World Series in ninety nine. Another oh one. But a lot of heartbreaks. But I remember. But you talk the, about man in the arena. Put ooh. yourself back there, right? Like there's nowhere yeah. to hide. You either want that. Yep. Or you're not it. I remember game, I, I think it was game three in New York. I went out to the line before the game, and I'm stretching. Old Yankee Stadium played there 20 times, but it was different tonight. It was yeah. my first World <laughs> Series game, and I could close my eyes, Mark, and you, I knew where I was. I said, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't the local corner pub that I'm performing <laughs> at tonight. This is... This, is, this is the Taj Mahal, baby, <laughs> and 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 it wasn't it wasn't a scary feeling. It was a I can't explain it to people. It's like it was an unbelievable feeling. I had to run back in the clubhouse and kind of shake myself. Be all right, let's yeah, get ready. True. You know, and it wasn't nervousness, but it was just that it almost butterfly, almost like opening day. Just get me through my first day B, and I'll be fine. But yeah. there's always that anticipation. It. It's a cool feeling, is what it is. It's not. It's not a bad feeling. It's just. A, it's different, and it and it's tough to explain to people. All right, who you got? Crystal ball. Just I'm going to make it easy. National yeah. League. National League pennant. American League pennant for Mark DeRosa. Yeah, I think for me, the Atlanta Braves have been the best team in baseball from start to finish. Do I think they have a few warts that teams could expose? Max Fried's limping in with a blister, but I think he's going to be fine. Spencer Strider's nasty. Their bullpen leaves a little to be desired, but I don't think enough that I'm going to worry. The offense is going to bang. They rake. They're good. So I think they go. And then I'm, I think the American League's wide open. I think any one of these teams could, could jockey and get in there. That being said, over the course of 162, the ball has seemed to bounce Baltimore Orioles' way. They're super talented. Their starters are better than people think. I worry about the not having Felix Bautista, but they got kind of got an easy road. They got a nice buy here. They're going to take on either a Tampa team that's depleted with injury or a Texas team that doesn't really have a rotation set in stone and a bullpen that's wavering. I think the Orioles can find themselves in the in the World Series. Braves Orioles. Braves Orioles. Who you got? Throw a dart. Well, I want to sleep in my own bed during when I, we call these things. So I'm I'm going with the Bravos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a safe. It's a safe pick. Uh, we mentioned Walt Weiss. Yeah, one of my favorites of all time. I know one of your favorites too. Do you remember? Do you remember the list we had? Yep. You remember the overrated list for those of you watching or listening to the boom podcast right now. And Mark was a part of this. We had a list in, in 1999. I broke it out and, and me and Weiss started it, but it was an overrated list. I think I mentioned it before on the show and it could be from anything you wanted, but you had to come and you got to, you had to kind of present to the group and we had to agree if it was ink worthy. And yeah. Walt would always tell me if somebody came up with a good bony ink it, <laughs> and I'd write it down. Two of my favorites were uh, uh, the totem pole. I don't know what it's for, D-Row. I don't know what it's for still to this day. Uh, uh, sorry if I offended anybody out there. 
<laughs> and then we got one of my all-time favorites, very subtle. But my all-time favorites is I know the, it it's the boomerang. I throw it. That sucker never comes back. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like you're supposed to throw it and you just hold your hand up and it comes. It never comes back. You always got to chase it over there. Those are my two favorite. You got a favorite. And then I'm going to ask you one recently. What's overrated? I, I think I got one that you're going to like. All right. The you one I eat. remember, the one yeah. I remember being ink, inked because some because you remember, you remember when uh, now it's different. These guys get to dress a little bit different on the road. We were like suited and booted. Suited every time. The bow tie. Don't <laughs> try and go for like what? It's an overrated look. Unless an you're overrated. in a box, get the bow tie out of here. And, and an example, it's like, you know what I got overrated right now? Taylor Swift on the plane with the Kansas City. Get off the plane. This ain't the Taylor Swift show, or Taylor Swift. Sorry. Great artist, I guess. Kids love her. Whatever. Get off the plane. Get out of the – get off the camera. Tired of it. I'm with overrated. you. I'm with you. <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted to spend uh, – or send out my condolences to the – to the Wakefield family. Yeah. Uh, Timmy Wakefield passed away recently. Uh, big loss for Major League Baseball. I I wasn't particularly close with, with Wake. I played in a golf tournament with him about a year ago. Had no idea he was sick and, until I heard the other day. Uh, but I started with Wake in, in uh, low A ball when he first started throwing the knuckleball and, and played through, you know, my entire – my entire career we we competed so i just wanted to say say that before we get off this this program today any any wake thoughts or uh did yeah, you have a relationship one, with timmy he's a good I guy i did same same as you i played in an annual pro-am with the lpga uh golfers down in lake nona in orlando every year and he was down there every year we play a practice round together he was just class all the way. The, the, the way I could explain Tim is when you came down in the morning to get breakfast, he was sitting there with his leg up, his readers on, drinking a cup of coffee and wanted to just have a conversation with everyone who was there. So I, I'm I'm floored. This happened super quick. Yeah. Um, just feel terrible for his family. All of our friends. I mean, I have so many friends that play for the Red Sox that just – rave about this guy's heart on and off the field so yeah this one when, when, when you start this young and guys that we competed against it kind of it kind of stops you in your tracks yeah i was like you i mean i you know w we all heard uh that he was sick recently but then all of a sudden it's like as soon as i heard the news a day later I'm, i pick I up my phone and i go you know i'm thinking wait a minute is this a this can't be true this fast so yeah yeah condolences out to that D-Row, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. This was, a lot of, this, was, this, was, this was a lot of fun. And, uh, hey, you got a you probably got another show to do, a couple more shows to do. I mean man. I mean this wholeheartedly. It's guys like yourself, really, Walt Weiss, those guys, Chipper. I came into a clubhouse of, of, of just straight guys who love to play and expected you to do it a certain way, and I was better for it, so – I love to getting a chance to be your teammate. I love having a relationship with your brother being in New Jersey and him in New York where I could fire him tech. So huge fan of the Boone family. Very cool. Mark, I appreciate it. Wish you all the best. Who knows? You might be you might be uh 
managing one day too so we'll see (laughs) but uh, i appreciate you coming up for those of you watching or listening to the boom podcast i appreciate you tuning in and we will see you next time